Hey, good morning. <clears throat> Happy Valentine's Day and uh, welcome to our Sunday service today. If you guys have your Bible, please um, keep it open. If you have access to scripture, keep it open to Hebrews chapter 8 because I'm going to walk us through some of the things that the Lord may be uh, teaching us today through this passage. Um, I think it's good to know that chapter 8 begins in such a way that um, you got to understand what the author has said previously before in chapter 7. It's a, a continuation, if you will, from uh, what the author is describing in chapter 7. He's talking about Jesus as this uh, priestly uh, position, and he talks about in chapter 7 how Jesus has this uh, permanent and eternal position as a priest, unlike the earthly priests who would not be able to hold their office forever, who would die off, and so they would have to change the priest every now and then. Jesus, on the other hand, because he overcame death, he is a permanent, eternal priest. At the end of chapter 7, you're going to notice that this is just me I'm quoting scripture here, but he says he is able to draw people near to God through him. He is able to make intercession for them. And then he goes on to describe that Jesus is holy, he's innocent, he's unstained, he's separated from sinners, he's exalted above the heavens, and he is perfect. That's just what scripture says. And so when you start to open to uh, the Bible and go into the next chapter, you're going to notice that the author begins by saying, now the point in what we are saying is this. So he's saying the, the description of Jesus and his permanent priesthood and who he is, the point of it is not to just give you uh, head knowledge. The point is not to just give you information, but the point is for you to know that he is your high priest. He says, now the point in what we are saying is this, that we have, so the author is saying to the Hebrews that you have such a high priest. So the question that I ask is, why would the author who is inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this in Scripture, why would he add that in? Right? Why not just say that Jesus is such a high priest? This is the description of who he is. This is the description of the position he holds. And here's the information. Why, why not just leave it at that? <clears throat> the reason is because the author's conviction, right, the author's point in verse 1 is not to just show the uh, priestly position of Jesus, but to remind God's people of the personal presence of Jesus. What he's trying to say is this high priest, is your high priest. He, he is personal to you, and through Jesus, you have a personal uh, presence to God. <clears throat> he is your high priest. And so to, to the church today, right, to the fellowship, to for us today who are believers, this is a great reminder of who Jesus is, but also that he is our personal high priest that he has a personal presence in our lives, that through him we can actually draw near to God. He is our mediator. He is our advocate. He is our helper. He is our intercessor. He is the intersection between heaven and earth, the gap between God and man. Jesus is the one who bridges that gap. He represents God to man, and he brings man to God. And so the author wants the Hebrews to remember that in Christ, that they are never alone. They are never by themselves. No matter what afflictions, no matter what <clears throat> persecutions or circumstances they're in, he's trying to remind them that you have such a high priest. 
You have a great high priest and you're, that you're not alone. I want you to remember the circumstance that the Hebrews were in. They were facing uh, imminent persecution. They were tempted to uh, drift from their faith uh, in Jesus. They were tempted to distance themselves from Jesus. They were tempted to go back to their old way of life in Judaism, which is what they grew up with. It's kind of their familiar place, their comfort zone, if you will. And, and so he's trying to remind them that in Christ you're not alone and you don't have to turn back to your old ways because Christ is your help. The writer of Hebrews is saying that don't go, don't go back to your old life because in the new life, in the Christian life which they have, you don't have an earthly high priest which dies and passes away and it's just for a moment, but it's fleeting. He's saying in Christ, in this Christian life, you have an eternal high priest. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God and he's ministering. He's still at work. He's serving his people even now, he's trying to remind them that I know he's saying, I know you're, you guys are facing all kinds of persecution. I know it seems very dark, but he's saying God is with you. He's saying God is still active. He, he, he's, he's not in a tomb, but he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's, he's ministering and he's serving his people. He's trying to encourage them. Don't go back to your old way of life. Continue and keep your eyes on Jesus. You know, for these Jews um, who turned Christian, the old covenant, the, the, the old way of life for them, their former way of life, it was full of rules and rituals and religion, but it wasn't reality. And I think that's what Hebrews 8.5 is trying to uh, talk to us about. It's trying to teach us when it says there's a, that it's just a copy and a shadow of the reality that was to come. It's saying that all the things that you, we saw, the old covenant, right? The, the, the rules and the rituals and, and, and all the things they have to do, it, was, it wasn't reality. It was a shadow pointing to a reality that a new covenant was not only necessary, but a new covenant was going to be established, and it was established in Christ Jesus. And what Hebrews is saying is connecting the old and the new together, and he's saying at the height of it is Jesus. When you see how God brings humanity to himself. It's not through the old covenant. It's through his son, Jesus. And he's saying, look at Jesus because he is the reality. He's saying he is not a copy and a shadow of better things to come. He is the reality. He's the substance of that reality. And through him, as we learned last week, we can draw near to God. That's the good news. That's the gospel. That we have a high priest that the Hebrews have such a high priest who is seated, who is ministering, who makes covenant with us. He is a substance of the reality. He's active. He's an advocate. He's working on our behalf. When we don't know how to pray or what to pray, he is praying on our behalf to the Father. He goes before us, not behind us. He's our helper. And, and so what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, Man, why would you go back to your old life and to earthly priests and to rituals and religion and roles when you have reality in Jesus? So here's what chapter 8 is about, all right? I'm going to try to sum this up. Jesus is our great high priest. He mediates for us the ministry of a new covenant. We're going to unpack this. And he's saying that in this new covenant, 
it is more excellent. I'm just quoting scripture. You can read it for yourself. He's saying in this new covenant in verse 6, it's more excellent because in this new covenant, it's built on better promises. Better promises, right? So there is this old and there is this new. And he's saying the new is better. And we all kind of know that concept, right? That the new is better. For, for most things, that's true. Saying, why would you go back to the old when you have the new? I just think about um, the, the new technology that even just in our lifetime, like I'm 30, 38, I think, right? 38. And, uh, and I think about just the new technology, even in my lifetime, you know, going from having pay phones to pagers and then to cell phones. I think about the, just, just the, the, uh, how, how technology has evolved. And now I have a cell phone um, that I get to experience. Many of you, maybe most of you, maybe all of you have a cell phone. And like, I don't know anyone that has experienced a cell phone but says, I want to go back to the days of the payphone. Like I just I just have not met that person. Right? I don't know if that's you. And I don't I don't know anyone who is able to listen to music on their phone, right? With maybe with wireless earphones, and yet says, I'd rather go back to the days of a CD player. Do you guys remember that big chunky device? You put the CD player in the, I don't know, I've never met anyone that says, I think the CD player was better, more efficient, right? First of all, that thing couldn't even fit in your pocket, right? So it was very bulky, and it's not very, you know, it's just kind of uh, inconvenient to have. And not only was it bulky, but it was very sensitive, right? You, you just had to always stay still. You couldn't move. You couldn't move around. You couldn't go jogging with it because every time you move, it would skip, right? Not that I go jogging, but, but it's, just, it's just what would happen. If you would move, it just skips. And so I'd never met anyone that says, I, I just like the old. I think most of us would agree that the new is better. And this is what this is what the author is trying to say is the old was just a way for God to point to a new reality that we needed, which is in Jesus. And he's saying, in Jesus there is a new covenant. In Jesus, it's a new covenant that he mediates. And he's the he's heading it. And he, he he's actually uh, building it on better promises. And so, so here's what I wanted to share with you guys today. There's three promises that I want to point you to in this passage. Three promises that God uh, lays before his people, is laying before you today to help us understand why this new covenant in Jesus is better than drifting to anything temporary. Okay? So three promises that God makes. First promise is he promises renewal in his people. Second is that he promises responsibility for his people. And third, he promises relationship with his people. So if you're if you're that note taker kind of person, if you're um, writing stuff down in your phone, this is what you need to write down, that God promises these three better promises in the new covenant. He renews his people. He takes responsibility for his people and he establishes relationship with his people. So number one, re renewal in his people. In uh, chapter 8, verse um, verse 8, uh, verse, uh, verse 10, I'm sorry, um, he says, I will establish a new covenant. This is God speaking. He says, I'm going to establish a new covenant, right? And then he says, 
this is the covenant that I will make. So we got to be all ears. What's this covenant that he's making? What's this covenant that God is establishing? He's not doing this every, like every season. This is not every year he's going to just establish anything new. He's going to do this one time. And he establishes a new covenant. He says, and this is the covenant I will make. And notice the first thing that he says in verse 10 about this new covenant. This is what he says. I will put my law. So God's saying he's going to put his laws into what? Into their what? And he says, I will write them on their what? This is why you need your Bibles open. He doesn't say, I'm going to put my laws and I will write my uh, words on leather Bibles, on 3,000 different kinds of versions of the Bible. He doesn't say, I'm going to write it on note cards. He doesn't say, I'm going to write it on iPhones. He doesn't say, I'm going to put it on apps, right? He doesn't say, I'm going to put it on Christian t-shirts and Christian bracelets and Christian hats and Christian stickers and Christian apparel. He doesn't say that. What he says is, I will establish this covenant, this new covenant. And he says, I will put my law into their minds and I will put and I will write them on their hearts. I just want you to feel the weight of that. He's saying, I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them on their hearts. See, if there were any group of Christians who understood um, the Old Testament, it was this group of Christians, Jews who had become Christians. They knew that in Exodus, they knew the story that God when he would speak to Moses, then Moses came down with the law and it was written on stone. And they would write it on scrolls. And so it was external. And they would have to abide by those laws and abide by those rules. And so it was important for them to have externally everything right and pure. And so the Pharisees, it was important for them to have the outside of the cup clean and to always wash their hands. That was the way of the Pharisees to have the outside perfected. And yet the way of Jesus is not outside in. The way of Jesus is inside out. His work does not begin with our external behaviors. His work begins internal, internally with internal transformation. His work was to make us new from the inside out. So he says, I will write my law on their minds and I will write my words on their hearts so that from the inside we can be changed. We can be regenerated, reconstructed, renewed. The old has gone. And when God, in a sense, circumcises our hearts and opens the eyes of our hearts, then we can be made new. I was thinking about, um, you know, back in high school when I first started driving, I was 16 years old, got my license, and my parents got me this used, beat up, uh, used uh, Nissan Sentra back in the day, back in the mid-90s, and it was a used car and kind of beat up, And um, but I lived in an area where there was a lot of rich kids, and so high schoolers would drive around with, you know, we call them rice rockets, but basically they're there were their brand new Hondas, Accords, Civics, Integras, and, and not only were they brand new, but then they would spend Benjamins on fixing and 
modifying it so that it would be more faster, more flashier, more louder, you know what I mean, more brighter, and they would spend Benjamins on this. And I, I was the kid with the used Nissan Sentra, right, 1991 Nissan Sentra, and I wasn't satisfied. I wanted the rice rocket, but I, I, I was the guy that wanted the rice rocket but had no budget, right? Like, I didn't have Benjamins. I had, like, Washingtons, if you know what I mean, right? And so what I had to do was I had to get creative. <clears throat> How do I fix this up so that it's, it's, I can be satisfied? So what I did was I was able to get a few Washingtons, a few dollar bills, and buy a, a blue permanent marker. <clears throat> Some of you guys may understand or may know where I'm heading. And what I would do is I would take out my reverse light bulbs. They're on the back of the car, and every time you reverse, lights would flash, right? And so I would take out those reverse light bulbs, and with my blue marker, I would color the reverse light bulbs with blue permanent ink. And I would put them back in, and every time I would put my car in reverse, every time people saw me back out of the parking lot, boom, amazing blue lights. And I thought that was pretty cool, actually. And so I kept it. I didn't change it. In fact, other people did the same thing. And then I would, you know, uh, with a few more bucks, I would try to change some of the lights inside the car. And I had a friend who knew how to do some rewiring. So he would rewire my blinker lights so that every time I turn left or turn right and turn on my signal um, blinkers, <clears throat> it would blink 10 times faster than it normally would. And it was like the most annoying sound you could ever listen to. But for some reason in 1997, it felt so cool. And so I was like, man, this is, this is amazing, right? And, 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 and that's kind of the car that I drove, you know, back in the mid-90s because I wanted to fix all the stuff to, to make it feel like it's something new. But when someone asked me, what car do you drive? My answer was still the same. A used Nissan Sentra. See, the light bulbs don't change the car. The, the, the turn signals don't change the car. It's still the old Nissan Sentra. And I share this because I think this is what we do in our lives. I think this is what we do with our lives where we're so fixated on external transformation. If I just change this, if I just fix that, if I just replace this, if I can just get that, if I can just clean this, right, then it'll be better. It'll feel like new, and we, we, we spend so much of our life trying to fix the exterior, but at the end of the day, it's still the old, same me, right? And what this is trying to teach us is that the true work, the true work is on the inside, the inner life. That's where God does his best work. See, in the new covenant, our high priest, Jesus, he takes the pages of the Bible, right? He takes the words that are on the pages of this Bible and he inscribes it and he permanently carves it, imprints it on our hearts and on our minds and he's constantly doing so. It doesn't mean we're going to memorize the whole Bible, but he gives us this internal compass in which now we know where true north is. He allows us to constantly know where his will is, what his will is, and he continually shows us by inscribing the pages of God's word on our hearts. He shows us his glory. He shows us who he is. 
Because now it's on our hearts. This is what God does on our behalf. Richard Foster, who um, is someone worth reading in terms of spiritual disciplines and growth, he has this quote, he says, between God's way of doing things and our way is never more acute than in the area of human change and transformation. He says, we focus on specific actions, but God focuses on us. He says, we work from the outside in, but God works from the inside out. He says, we try, but God transforms. And I think that's, that's the first promise that God is making to his people in this new covenant, that God renews us. He brings renewal in his people. He establishes his law on our hearts. The second promise is this. He says, I will be their God and they shall be my people. Hebrews 8.10. I will be their God and they will be my people. I know that's poetic, but it's more than just something that sounds good. This is God taking responsibility for his people. This is God making covenant with his people. He's taking responsibility, taking initiative, establishing a permanent bond with his people. Notice how much God initiates this whole thing. Notice God's activity in Hebrews 8 versus our activity, okay? I want you to just underline or highlight or circle, which I did in my Bible. Just think about how many times God says, I will, I will, I will. It says in five verses, six times, God says, I will establish a new covenant. This is the covenant I will make. I will put my laws into their minds. I will be their God. I will be merciful. I will remember their sins no more. God is active. God is initiating. And God is taking responsibility for his people. Where is my activity? There is no mention of what we did. Why? Because this new covenant is not based on our faithfulness. It's based on God's faithfulness to us. This high priest, in order to make this covenant, this high priest became the sacrificial lamb. And he is the only one who was qualified. He's the only one who was capable of that cross. And by becoming the sacrificial lamb, he bore the sins of the world. And he takes the wrath of God so that he can be our God and we can be his people. You know, one commentator, Ken Hughes, he says that in Hebrews 8, when he's saying, I will be their God, it means that he gives himself to us. And then when he says, they shall be my people, he's saying he takes us to himself. And I think about that phrase, I will be their God and they shall be my people. I think about marriage vows and how powerful those vows are how, how uh, lifelong those vows are, how, how just uh, um, weighty those vows are, right? The, and I think that's the closest thing on earth that can kind of reflect God's promises to us is the wedding vow, this vow that says, you know, I take you to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward for better or worse, and, you know, what's, what is it, for better or worse, or uh, richer or poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, Right? Till death do us part. That's powerful. And yet, um, broken, sinful people break 
those vows and promises all the time, but God doesn't. We have such a high priest who is faithful to the end. We have a high priest who will be our God and we will be his people. Amen by myself. That's good news for us. And not only think about wedding vows and a marriage, but I think about for my wife and I, it reminds us of when we adopted Benjamin and Joshua as our children because that was a binding agreement. It was a covenant we made, right? And it was just done by 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 signing papers and writing our names on, on paper that says this is a legal document that we are going to adopt Benjamin and Joshua. And yet it was a commitment and a responsibility to provide a home for them, to bring them in as our beloved sons, to protect them, to provide for them, to nurture them, to guide them, to love them. Right? There is no 30-day uh, return policy. There's no trial and error. There, there's no. Uh, there's nothing like that. It's a binding agreement in which we take full responsibility by right, bringing them into our family. This is what God does for us. He makes covenant with us. And Apostle Paul in Romans 8, 38, 39, he says, Neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God takes responsibility for his people. The last promise is this. The last promise is that he establishes relationship with his people. In verse 11 through 12, it says, For they shall all know me, right, from the least of them to the greatest, for I will be merciful, merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. So the last promise here is that in the new covenant, we, God's people, will know him, not just know about him, but we will know him. And how? We will know him because he will be merciful towards us and he will remove our sins. He will no longer remember our sins. That's how we know God, right? We do not and cannot know God apart from the forgiveness of our sins. That's the bottom line. Apart from the forgiveness of our sins, it doesn't matter how much scripture you memorize. It doesn't matter whether you went to a Christian school or a Bible college. It doesn't matter. We do not know God as Father unless we know Jesus as our Savior. But when there is forgiveness of our sins, all barriers are removed. All the walls are torn down. And the bridge between God and man are now bridged because of Jesus. We don't know God because of our intellect. We don't know God because of our reasoning. We don't know God because of our church attendance. We don't know God because we've had some good discussions and small groups. We don't know God because of more conferences, more lectures, more sermons, right? More Bible studies, more information. We know God because He has removed the obstacle, which is our sin. He has removed every barrier. So what the author is saying to the Hebrews is, you guys don't have to go back to an old way of life. You don't have to go back to a religion of God. 
because now in Christ you have relationship with God. He has removed all your sins. And why is that important? Because if you think about any two people, let's just use the example of a married couple. This is Valentine's Day, right? Any two parties that are going to know each other and be intimate and walk together and have, you know, and have the shared life and enjoy each other and delight in each other, the one thing, the one thing that must not get in between is the presence of sin. Sin always separates. Unforgiven sin always separates, right? When there is a married couple, right, husband and wife who don't get along, who don't enjoy each other, who don't um, delight in each other, it's not because somehow overnight their personalities change or their looks change, though I guess that could happen. The reality is there is a presence of unforgiven sin. And when you think about us and God, God took all our sin and put it on His Son so that we can actually know Him. And not only is God saying we can know Him, God's saying we can actually enjoy Him. We can actually enjoy God. See, God is not just one to obey. God is one to enjoy. And so for God to no longer remember our sins, as Hebrews 8 is saying, at the very least, this is what it's saying, at the very least, it means that God will no longer, will no longer hold my sin and hold your sin for any grounds of condemnation, condemnation, it means that you and I, if we are, if we have believed in the risen Jesus, it means that we don't have to approach God as a criminal who has offense towards him, who has to pay back anything. We don't have to come and approach God as one who is guilty and condemned. We can now, because of Jesus, approach God confidently. It says that in Jesus, a throne of Judgment has become a throne of grace. And so we can draw near as not criminals or guilty or condemned, but we can draw near as beloved children of God whom he loves. That's the gospel. Amen by myself. J.I. Packer, in a book called Knowing God, he says, he says all of my knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. It was his doing and his work and his faithfulness. And J.R. Packer goes on, he says, our main business in being here is to know God. That's the one thing. Our main business in being here is to know God. So I close with this question, is do you know him? Do you know, not about him, do you know him? And do you treasure him? Jesus is our high priest, provides all we need to live faithfully unto him. Right? So I close with this. And you, some of you guys are wondering, where's the application? Here it is. If Jesus is able to renew our minds and hearts, here's the application. Be teachable. Are you receiving him today or are you resisting him today? Second, if Jesus takes responsibility for us, here's the application. Trust him. If God says he will be our God and we will be his people, trust him. And last but not least, if Jesus 
restores relationship with us by the forgiveness of our sins, then here's our application. Treasure Him. So be teachable, trust Him, and treasure Him. Today, do not resist Him, do not reject Him, but today, receive Him. For we have such a high priest. Let's pray.